Hello, welcome back to another week of DP World Tour Picks and Bets. Skylar Hope here, joined by Tom Jacobs. As always, Tom, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Yeah, glad the uh, the BW International Open is out of the way. Uh, I think I said that a couple of times recently, but like Marshall Schneider was playing pretty well and said he wasn't. Um, Pablo had a really good chance to get in the mix and just disappeared. I think he made like a eight on one of the holes in the end. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it's just one of those ones where it's hard to get it right. You know, it's this DP World Tour betting. Even when we were coming down the stretch, it was it was awful, wasn't it? Um, you know, no one really wanted to win. Certainly not Joost Lausen in the end um, for his sins. So at one point, I felt like I really missed out on Joost Lausen. The next part, I realised why I didn't want to bet him. So it was all good in the end. But yeah, I think I think this is a you know as exciting event here at the, uh, the British Masters and signifies, as we spoke about last week, a, a little run now until the Open Championship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Tristan Lawrence, I mean, once again, just continues to be a winner when the spot is there for him, right? To take advantage of the opportunities when you get there. Um, seemingly what felt like out of nowhere, right? Snap. I mean, he played in the States, what, for I think three or four weeks prior, hadn't really done all too much and, and right back into form in the DP World Tour and winning. So good for him. I was rooting for um, the amateur, or not amateur, I guess the newly minted pro, right? And your guard, Peterson, would have been fun yeah. to see. Um, missed out on the Oklahoma State narrative, you know, from Wyndham Clark winning uh, over to that. So, no, it was cool for him to get in the mix. And I think you nailed it. This is, I guess, the beginning, I guess, this week. And then we get the Scottish Open into the Open Championship. We have Nate Hemmerlin kind of in the middle of that. Um, but no, this is a good stretch of golf. We have Justin Rose and Minwoo Lee coming over uh, stateside playing in this event. Uh, if you guys remember the sad, sad 2021, yeah, event here. Sad for me mainly. <laughs> I think you know us Guido enthusiasts losing to the one and only Richard Bland. It it honestly makes it worse the way that Bland has gone to live and like. You know, when he talked trash to Eddie, like, but it's just made it worse. It was, it was poor old Richard Bland never wins until he finally did. And then now uh, just I just have no- that playoff back. I noticed he uh, did a podcast this week as well, which I need to, to listen to as a national club golfer. And I think judging by the headlines, he's not very complimentary about Jay Monaghan. So um, interesting to see someone that definitely got off his tracks a little bit, off his skis, whatever, above his skis, whatever you want to call it, uh, Richard Bland. He, uh, Took him so long to win one event, and then suddenly was like an advocate for the tour, right? Um, but yeah, like that was heartbreaking for Guido fans. But I think at the time everyone was really happy that Bland won it. He then went into the US Open, didn't he, and, and played well. And it just, I don't know, like it, it, like it seems like a long time ago now. I mean, it was a couple of years ago now, but it does seem a really long time. And well, I guess we've had a couple of dramatic wins here because Olison marked his comeback with a win here last year with an eagle birdie finish to. To knock out Soderberg, who was sitting in the uh, in the playoff places, and Ramsey, who was you know one shot up going into the final hole, put into the water. So it's a really dramatic course, this I think the Belfry. Uh, but going back to Tristan Lawrence a bit, like you said, it sort of seemingly come out of nowhere. Like even his stats suggest he shouldn't have won. Like I don't, I don't really. Like, you look at him, and you just think, oh, what did he do well? It's not, not a lot. He putted pretty well, but like. He's a pretty marginal gainer in every category. I don't, I don't really know when Tristan Lawrence. I've tried it a couple of times, just thinking he's like quite big odds, but it's really hard to catch him right. 
yeah, he's one of those guys that you probably should like, like Pat did for a while, just blindly yeah. bet, right? Like he's, he's somebody who has that upside in him. Um, and hopefully we see a stretch of form. I mean, last year, what it was at the open championship, right? Where we were intrigued um, by him. So this can kind of get going starting. I think starting this event is really when I look to see that DP world tour form leading into the open championship as uh, we've had a lot of guys tick some boxes heading there before. So before we really dive into the odds board again, we are playing at the Belfry this year. So I think it's the third time. Um, yeah. Third time that we have seen it in succession. Uh, it was hosting it back in 2008 old Ryder cup venue um, here. It has what well, I think four Ryder cups, or I think the last one being in O2 when Europe won um, the Belfry. I, I think the, the finishing holes, I think are great in that sense. It can be, I don't want to say overpowered. We've seen Rasmus Hoygaard win. We've seen Richard Bland win. It kind of uh, allows for many skill sets to, to show out. And arguably, it's going to be a tough test. You're probably going to see low teens um, at the best from a scoring standpoint. Some really good, um, I guess, risk-reward holes, you could say, um, in, in some ways. Um, waters in play quite a bit. Um, you know, Mike Miller always does a good breakdown of the course if you looked at, um, you know, smart golf bets on that side of things. But what else could you say about the Belfry? Yeah, I think it's one of those ones, I think you summarise it pretty nicely. Like it's, we've had 13 and 10 under win here over the last two years. Um, and I just, I mean, Bland and Olison are not, Bland obviously not, Olison can get it out there, but he's not a massive hitter. You know, Guido is a bigger hitter, Soderberg can hit it a long way, but I don't think you need to be, I mean, Ramsey proved it last year, you don't need to be the longest hitters. I do think it can be, like it's an old course, right? So I think I think it can it struggles maybe to hold up to the modern equipment, and you can bomb your way around to a low score, but eventually it will catch up with you. And I think those it's those finishing holes that will um, really catch you out. And interestingly enough, like Nick Faldo is hosting this year, and I wonder if he's going to have played with the setup. So he's actually doing an interview at the DP World Tour this week to explain the setups, which will be on the podcast to do tomorrow. Um, so tune into that just to, just to kind of hear maybe some of the differences he makes. But I, I think ultimately we're going to get one of the classier players win this week. I think looking at the strength of field, um, just thinking about the course, I think obviously it's a previous Ryder Cup venue. So the likes of the people at the top are going to want to impress there, given, you know, we're in a Ryder Cup year. Again, I don't know. I don't suppose Luke Donald's looking at it going like, you know, I want people to play well at the Belfry, but for people in their head thinking, you know, I've done it on a Ryder Cup course in tough conditions is probably a win for them. So, um, yeah, nothing too much to add to the course. I don't think there's any real one skill set that I would really focus on. I just think you've got to probably keep it in play as much as you can um, to give yourself the best shots at these greens. Yeah. I mean, looking back at some of our historical shows on this, I think we just had backed in form kind of ball strikers. Yeah. Was, was kind of the way we went about it most of the time. And that led us to, what almost was a, a huge week in 21. Um, I know like Edward, Eduardo Molinari was in the mix that week when we were on him. That type of golf. Andy Pepperell was in a stretch of form when his irons could not stop. Um, so kind of leaned into that for my liking. And, um, you know, what we're seeing at the top of the odds board are, I would distinctly say, four priced golfers. Uh, we mentioned Justin Rose is here. He's 11. Uh, and Woo Lee, 12 to 1. Adrian Maroc, 14 to 1. And then Jordan Smith, who kind of opened at 25, down to 20 to 1 as we record on Monday. Tom, we each have a pickup here, differing. Um, but I think we could probably make an argument either way for almost every single guy. 
Yeah, so I think actually, interestingly, you know, I've been a massive advocate for Justin Rose all season and people that have listened to podcasts will probably be bored of me saying I think he can win um, because I've, I think I've backed him in every major so far. But I think this is actually the first time I looked at Justin Rose and just thought, no, not not this week. Like, And a lot of that is to do with, um, you know, the price. Like he's, he's an outright favourite and he, he's a shortish one at that. But yeah, I was like, it's not the best golf course for him. It hasn't been over the years. So adding that in the travel, I think it's, I'm surprised he's actually playing. I'm not actually sure what the, the motivation is behind that. Maybe he just has a bit of time at home this time of year. Um, but I was close on Minwoo Lee. I backed him last week at 80 to one at the Travelers Championship. So I could definitely make a case for him, but it's Adrian Moron for me who, who stood out. And I just think it's that flaw that I, I spoke about just off air before we came on with Moron, but every time he seems to re- return to the DP World Tour events, he, he plays pretty well. So you know, going back to his Australian Open win at the end of last year, he was then 10th for the Abu Dhabi Championship, missed the cut uh, in Dubai, but then finished fourth at Raz Al Khaimah, went on a stretch of run of events in America before going to the Masters, and then he was 21st at the Korea Championship when he was higher placed at one point, fifth at the KLM Open, and third at the BMW International Open. So he's just he just seems to have this really safe floor now, I think, uh, for Moronk, and I just trust his ball striking. He was third here. Uh, two years ago probably could have won that and yeah I, I just think of the group he's the best price and that's kind of how I got there in the end because I don't think there's too much in it between him and Mimuli. I think Mimuli maybe on the bigger stage has proven it uh, more than Ronk has so far but I think at this type of event there's not much between the two yeah I mean I I don't disagree like I said I, I do think there's an argument to be made uh, even Rose at the at the number he is Minwoo very close what what's hard to wrap my head around with Min Wu is I feel like he is playing at courses that I did not anticipate him to do well. If you look at the Players Championship, I mean, to me, he's a big hitter that hits it a little bit everywhere and doesn't yeah. rely on his irons as much, but can chip with literally chip and pot with the best in the world, which I guess plays everywhere, right? Uh, makes sense at LACC. But last week, I mean, last week was claustrophobic. It was tight. It's similar to what even this week could be. So the parallels of that do make some sense. Morocco, of course, continues um, to have such a great summer leading up to the Ryder Cup. Where I'm leaning, and maybe this is just due to a little bit more of the recent form and maybe a price uh, discount in that way, is Jordan Smith. I think the struggle that we think about when we bet Jordan Smith is what? He's not a winner. He's not somebody who, you know, we we trust on Sunday, right? One win in 22, um, and this win prior to that was in 2017. Um, and that included just an incredible stretch of golf in 2022. Um, but finally getting over the line at the British or the Portugal Masters was great to see. We talked about him on the U.S. Open preview show with arguably zero interest, right? He had shown yeah. ball striking um, the week prior, the Porsche European Open, his best irons of the entire year. And what's he do at the U.S. Open, LACC? He's T20. Uh, Sunday was one of the better rounds of the entire day incredible ball striking top five in the event just something you would never anticipate truthfully from what what really the year has been i would i would probably classify this year as a disappointment in some ways for jordan smith um, and that's being maybe harsh because he is top 25 in most every event but the expectations are now a different level 20s on that from a a blip of ball striking form and then i think there's some parallel courses too if we mentioned kind of tighter you know, where the fairways can be important or demanding golf courses. He was seventh um, at the Kazoo, uh, which is, or Kazoo de France, which is the Open de France, uh, Le Golf National 
I think that could be something that could be a little bit of a parallel. I like to see um, kind of that encouraging finish. He's been fine here, right? 21st and 17th, last two times out. But to me, I think it's upside of ball striking can win any event. And at 20 to 1, showing that form, I am going to take the risk of somebody who needs Sunday to, to go fortunately for him. I think the other thing with Smith as well, I, I, what I did like to do, and they obviously are varying golf courses, but I just think just form in the British Masters in general is worth looking at. He's been, you know, third, sixth, 35th, 17th and 21st, his last five British Masters. So clearly loves to return to this type of event. And, and what better confidence to go and finish top 20 in a major than to, because you are downgrading. Like, there's no there's no two ways about it. We love the DB World Tour, but there, there's, there's a very big drop off. And, you know, the last time we saw him in this, Type of field. He was the 54 hole leader at the Porsche European Open and just had a terrible Sunday. And you know, it is what we're accustomed to, and it is why we're worried about the kind of taking the 20 to one. But what odds do you make him right? Like he, the skill set wise, he is the best. I think you nailed it um, with the fact that he is a bit of a downgrade from last year. Like I think he was a better golfer last year, and you wouldn't have been so surprised if he finished top 20 in the US Open last year. But if he's going to do it now, maybe maybe this is the start of a really good run for him. It would be a good time because I don't know what he would have to do to get onto the Ryder Cup team. I guess probably two wins. I don't, I don't, probably, I don't, yeah. I don't really know. But, I mean, if he starts like this week, there's time to do it. Um, he's never he's not really been in the discussion. Like, he's the one at the top of the market that's not really been in it. It's kind of been Moronk and Perez and people like that. Um so I don't think he's going to get on, but it'll be interesting to see how close he pushes the uh, the rankings. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I think the the further time gets going, it seems like the spots are more and more open to me, right? I mean, Yannick was somebody who felt like we could get on the team easily. Now, I don't I don't feel near as confident in that. Um, hopefully, we lean into some course fits, and and that kind of uh, is the way that Donald. I uh, saw some talk of maybe Patty Harrington being like a playing captain, yeah, I right? That. I mean, his form. I saw that. Um, so. Yeah, like, I, I mean, he is playing really well. Um, but that, I was sitting there thinking, like, have, have America got two Ryder Cup teams that could beat us? No, and I'm, and I'm not saying that the you Europe, Europe the live guys, like yeah, yeah. Like I mean, like I'm not, I'm not saying that Europe are going. You're saying the second tier. America yeah, like I, I'm yeah. saying if if you built two teams in the Ryder Cup. For America, I think both of them could give Europe a good game in in um, you know in Italy, and that's not to say that Europe can't beat the better one. I think you know there is just something about Europe playing in Europe that really you know even if I don't think the course particularly suits us this year, um, there is something about it, the camaraderie and the team spirit that, that leads us to wins. And I feel so much better about the Ryder Cup team than I did at the start of the year. Oh, you just look at like the way Denny McCarthy and Wyndham Clark and Keegan Bradley and, and all these people that are playing that weren't even mentioned at the start of the year of the Ryder Cup, you just start to think that like, there must be another second team that could probably be competitive. So really we need people to step up and, you know, you want a Robert McIntyre to go and own a place. Like he, he's a winner in Italy and you, you want him to be one of the better players. He's, he's a contender at the major. Like we need someone, obviously can't be Minwoo Lee, but we need someone of that ilk that's really showing up in majors and, I don't know who that's going to be at the moment. Perez is going the wrong way. It's, it's, it's slightly concerning that final spot in the team, I think. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, and, and we would love, yeah, somebody to just really take command <laughs> and be fun to watch and, and lead into um, the Open Championship and beyond. I think that's a great um, I mean, start. It could be and there's some big events to World Tour, right? Yeah. yeah. It could be Aberg at this rate, the way, it could the way be, he's playing. 
uh, Dumatej start? If I mean, the one thing I was I was going to ask you this, uh, those guys have to have a DP World Tour membership though, right? So would yeah. they have to start playing so, some of these events? Yeah, Ooh. I mean, I don't know how because they they keep talking about Aberg like he could actually be in the mix. So they must they must be some sort of like special thing, or they're just going to let them play the next three or four events that like you may just see them in Himaland and. You know, it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know how they're going to do it because otherwise you are going to be stuck with the pool of players of, you know, Yannick Paul, Victor Perez and Robert McIntyre. Like, so, yeah, I think I think at the moment you're right. Like, they can't play. I just wonder what they're going to do to, to maybe get them on the team. I think with the, all this, the shake-up of all the, the mergers and things like that, I think there's still some questions to be answered there. Yeah, probably a pound for another day. Yes. Um, Let's let's continue down the board. I I have a little bit of a gap in the mid range um, for me, Tom. Is there anybody sticking out to you? No, like I mean, my my next pick is obviously you know in the fifty to one range. I think I think for me it's if we were looking at thirty to one range, we kind of discussed Alexander Bjork before we came on. I understand that. I do get it. Robert McIntyre is starting to look big. We just mentioned him at kind of thirty seven to one. Lawson's playing well, forty two to one. I thought Campillo was interesting. He he's the one before my next pick, but he, he's got a decent record here, I believe, um, in a couple of starts. So yeah, I mean he's finished seventh on his on his first start here. So that would be of interest. But I got to Richie Ramsey in the end, and he was actually the first player, um, Richie Ramsey, that I that I backed this week. I just I just felt really strongly about him. He's just finding form at the right time. Like he was seventh in Sadao, where he was fifth going into Sunday. He was 39th at the KLM, but he was actually eighth at the halfway mark. And he finished fifth at the Scandinavian Mixed as well. Um, you look at his last couple of years here, 40, 43rd and third. Obviously, we've mentioned last year when he found the water on the final hole that he could have won. Um, when he was 43rd, he was 16th at the halfway stage as well. So he's in really, you know, he really likes his course. He plays particularly well when he gets to the likes of, you know, the UK courses. And his ball striking is just improving, which is obviously in the uptick in form. And we know with Richie Ramsey that when he starts ball striking, he's still you know, really competitive on this tour. Um, looking at his last four starts and strokes, going to approach 28th, 2nd, 15th and 31st. Um, and tees green as well. Uh, really good. 18th, 5th, 19th and 33rd. So to your earlier point about do you need to be a longer hitter or anything like that, I don't think you do. And Ramsey's proven that over the years. Um, and I think he can carry that on this week. Yeah, what's intriguing to me about uh, Ramsey, too, I mean, you mentioned uh, the seventh, I think it was the seventh, right at the Sudal Open, where he got better progressively. That's another tighter three-line course yeah. where you don't, you, you can't really overpower it. And a lot of the parallels that people uh, made, I think Jamie uh, Worsley was making some of the parallels, was like courses that Guido has excelled on. Um, yeah. When you think of those like style courses, it really has been like these Parklands tree-lined where you can't just overhit it. Power hitters can play well. You can get out of the rough, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it suits a guy like Ramsey more. I'm pretty intrigued. I'll have to think about that on the pod. Um, if, if I want to get it on him, he just obviously, like Jordan Smith, uh, makes it a little bit worrisome when the, the Euro Sunday show up, but uh, always fun to, to root for him. Um, speaking of Guido, uh, I, you know, he's just maybe somebody that, it's getting a little scary that we do all flock back at one time. Yeah. Any sign of life, everybody runs. 
not just walks, gallops, maybe throws <laughs> in each way. If you see around, we are running at him. I think he's on every betting card pretty much so far that I have seen posted. And to no surprise, he's on mine, right? 70 to 1. He finished 10th last week, progressively got better. Fourth and sixth with his approach uh, on the weekend um, when we looked at uh, Saturday and Sunday strokes gained. Um, and showing up to course obviously has that success. He did miss the cut his next time around. But again, if I looked at like Le Golf National, that feels like this type of, of style it could be. We do obviously won there last year, arguably out of nowhere. So um, 70s for him, I think, is absolutely being bet because I do not want to miss it. And I feel those boxes are being checked. You even were intrigued at Guido. He opened a triple digits for anybody that was up early this morning. Yeah, like I messaged you when, you know, you probably weren't awake this morning um, and you probably told me to piss off under your breath. Um, but like he was 100 to 1. And I was really interested then because you're just talking about a person that, you know, lost in the playoff and then, you know, play really well last week. It's very simple formula. Uh, when it started getting down to 70 to 1, I had to start thinking about the sort of longer term form with, with Guido. And I, I think he probably is this type of player that you just go, look, if he's 70 to 1 and plus and it's a decent golf course as it is in the past, you should probably just take him. I just haven't particularly taken him like that. And people that have may get rewarded and, and I might not. But I'm going to give him uh, a miss just because of that drop in price. And it always seems to be Sky, doesn't it? When, when, 20 people are backing him. It doesn't seem to go well. So um, we shall see. Yeah. So going from my most tipped golfer to, I think this may be my least tipped one hmm. of, of, you know, and somebody I've been hard on. We're hard on Bob. I'm hard on this guy. And yeah. um, I love what I'm seeing recently out of Wilco Nienaber. We brought it up on the last time um, that, again, the Audrey Arnaz formula, of finishing strong at a major while missing the cut. I mean, Thurston didn't play horrible at LACC either and came over and did fine. Like, it is what it is. But Wilco, in that second round at LACC, was top five in Tita Green. He drove it exceptional. His irons were pretty decent. And again, for somebody who is not really, you know, prolific with their, their irons, and then his short game was really, really good. I was like, okay, an eye catch. But I have some scar tissue from Audrey. You know, it's not worth jumping back in. And then what does he do last week? I would dare say that's probably the most impressive um, set of ball striking I have seen out of Wilco since we might have started this podcast, right? I don't think there is a bit. I'm just looking at it now, and I didn't really look into this as much. I mean, was he first off the tee, third in approach, and fifth tee screen overall? Like, I don't – I think, you know, we, we're accustomed to seeing him first off the tee or top ten off the tee. Like, that. that's pretty normal for Ninava, but – I don't feel like we see the irons particularly match up that often for him. So that is a, a really telling uh, situation, I think. And, and he had gained in the irons at the Porsche European Open over four rounds, too. So we're looking at three consecutive events, positive irons for him. Yeah. He has played here once. I believe he finished like 51st, but after 36 holes, he was inside the top 20. Again, I don't necessarily think it's the best course fit, but... The way he has been driving and hitting those irons, I mean, he is going to get shots that nobody else is going to get. Maybe he could play with the Rasmus Hoygaard technique, the one that won him in 2020. That was the same year Wilco was playing here. I don't know, enough upside for me. And he seems to, when he gets this type of form, his price, he's like 40s before you know it. And that's what I'm like, I'm, I'm way out. But here, 70 still feels decent enough for me. Um, he hasn't had that much success at these type of courses, but man, Trending ball striking like that for somebody who has that certain skill, if he can find the putter in which he has in the past, 
it's not the best, but he has shown up with it. I think Wilco can contend. Yeah, so it's funny because like, we've sort of said between us that we don't think it can necessarily be completely overpowered. Uh, I still kind of stand by that, but also by the same token, we've not seen many people try and do it. Like I'm just looking at the kind of players in the field this week and their current form, like their form here, and, and there's not a lot of players. You're not seeing players that you know Norgard Mollers and and people like that that are just you know trying to smash their way around it and just missing two cuts. Like Moller finished 43rd last year, Nienaba, uh that was in the UK Championship that he was 51st, and sometimes they're a slightly different setup, but. Uh, I think ultimately he could probably, you know, what we say about these long hitters is that they can take less off the tee. So if he's got his game management head on and, and can take it on properly, then, you know, you look at like Richard Mansell was eighth here last year. Callum Hills had a couple of top 10 finishes on this golf course. Like these are kind of stronger drivers of the ball that, you know, that's their main asset. I think he could probably, you know, follow down that path, I think. And I mean, truth be told for Wilco, like, he is a, a bigger name in, in general around the DP World Tour, but he's been finding himself in, in spots without good status or like, I mean, he is 141st on the DP World Tour Rolex ranking. He's 34th on the Challenge Tour. At some point, he would either have to make a decision, I'm just going to play on the Challenge Tour to earn my card back for next year, right? I mean, he's he's definitely in a spot where it's not guaranteed that he's going to keep playing this many uh, events. So a big week out of him would go a long way on those Rolex rankings. Yeah, like his putting's been brutal. Like he was, Terrible. He was 12 through 36 holes at Sadao Open. So we're, we're talking about like yeah. the, the right golf course, you know, there. Uh, he was 12th going into the final round at the Porsche European Open and shot an 80. And then even last week, he just got better every day. Um, so it, it's actually the kind of hidden form that I typically like. And I'm kind of surprised myself that I've not not seen this because when when he did drop down to the kind of challenge tour and South African tour, he had second and seventh place finishes. So it would suggest that the form is there and he's just needed it all to come together. And it looks like, um, and, and I'm pretty confident that someone of his age with a lack of scar tissue can can find it on the greens. I think. Still time for you to add him to the betting card. Tom. Yeah, this is this is probably going to happen. Like this this is yeah this is what the we one. like. like I've, yeah, I've, I've, I'm going to add him because. This is this is a space I've left myself. I've only got four at the moment. I like a fifth one. Um, so yep. Ninava is in. Perfect. Awesome. Um, you're up next at 80 to 1. Yeah, Matthew Jordan. So you talk about players that you don't bet. I don't bet Matthew Jordan either. Um, I wonder if this is going to be a great forward for us this week. Like if Ninava and, and Matthew Jordan finish 1-2, then maybe we need to look at our own processes and wonder why we don't bet on these people. Um, but really and truly, like his form is trending in, in recent starts, 16th, 22nd and 9th. And, and that's coincided by the fact he's been 23rd, 18th and 4th in his last three starts, T to green. Uh, when Matthew Jordan shows that ball striking prowess, I think we need to take notice. This is a guy that people, I think... You know, maybe a little bit naively, maybe a little bit early. We just assumed he was going to win. Like he, he came out and he played really well at Dunhill Links, and everyone just thought he was. You know, you hear those things of like, oh, he's he's, gonna be, he's guaranteed to win, and we hear it a bit early. And I didn't really buy into it. But when you look at when he does get on a run, you do look at him as that type of person that can win. Um, he has missed the cut twice in the British Masters here, but he was fourth at the 36 hole stage at the UK Championship, and he's been 15th and 17th in previous British Masters as well. So. Just looking at a person that typically plays pretty well in the UK, um, that's going to be where he breaks through. I think it, was it was it Portugal Masters where he had that chance to win and kind of threw it away. I think it was. 
Um, so yes. So you know you could argue that's been his most likely, but again, like Portugal Masters is a bit of a resort course where you see a lot of Brits go over and do well. So um, you look at his top finishes: Alfred Dunhill links fifth, Wales Open third, um, Hero Open sixth. Like it's just been a lot. Scottish Open eighteenth. Like, it's just been a lot of UK stuff, and that's what I've got in my mind with Matthew Jordan. I just think the ball striking is working out well. Uh, I think it was maybe Kenya earlier in the season that he played well as well, if I'm remembering correctly. Like I, I feel like he was there. Um, he finished tied 35th. I feel like he was like up there and played really poorly in the final round, which has been typical for Matthew Jordan for a while now. Um, let's just have a look at my memories. Yeah, so so he, he shot 368s at, at the Kenya Open and finished with 73. Um, and he finished you know, way outside the contention in the end. But I've got a feeling he was, like, genuinely quite close uh, until then, which would make sense with 368s because Carol Mora finished second, who was 67, 67, 68 for the first three rounds. So, yeah, I, I, I think, Matthew, you know, Jordan can play these tight scores as well, can play really well at home. And the, the T-screen game suggests that we should be looking at him, so I'm going to. I would – I wish this event was more lengthy than it is, right? This isn't really what you – refer to as a Lynx track at yeah. all uh, from what you would. But to me, Matthew Jordan still remains the sneakiest, best Lynx player that's out there. Um, well, so maybe that, these conditions could yeah, fit it. Uh, but that would kind of, you know, tally up with what he's done, because I think his best finish may have been at Hillside, which is obviously more of a Lynx course. It's Tommy Fleetwood's home course. Um, I'm pretty sure he was 15th that year uh, in the British Masters. So that would, yeah. you know, it would still make sense to that. And I think ultimately that is the case, but we, we kind of, I think we touched on this conversation and I will shut up in a minute. Like we touched on this conversation maybe last week or the week before about maybe just writing people off a little bit early. And, you know, Wyndham Clark, for example, is, is suddenly a two-time winner and a major winner at the age of 30, whatever he was. Like Jordan's not old and, and it's someone that's pretty green. And I think a lot of these players, you know, Nina, but fits in the same bill that, they had a disruption. Like they turned pro just before COVID, lost a certain amount of time. I mean, Jordan turned pro in 2018, so Nina were even later than that. We, we probably don't want to discount these people. And Daniel Hillier was one of those who I looked at. It's like he played less than 30 events and had like three top fives already. It's it's amazing, you know, because you hear a name for so long, you think they can't win because they don't, but they haven't really played that much golf to 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 warrant that. I don't think. Yeah. No. I, I would agree. I think the sky was the limit for him at, at a time, and that doesn't get thrown away too quickly. I mean, we just had a 20-year-old major winner yesterday on the LPGA Tour, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, there's kids can play, and I agree it doesn't come to as many in that moment um, as you would expect it to or hope it to. And I think the same can almost be said with somebody who has been written off, who has shown some life, who you know we've wanted a lot higher for, and I do not want to give up early on Sean Crocker. I think Sean Crocker's still at 90 to one after coming up a 14th place week, which was arguably like felt mediocre at best to yeah. me. Like he could have been substantially better. He could not chip for the life of him. He is potentially a bottom 10 chipper on the DP world tour, right? He just struggles around the green, but man, he can ball strike it with the best of them. His off the tee was improving. His approach game is improving and just wasn't as good a putting week as he did at the Scandinavian, Scandinavian mix. But I really, really like Crocker's trending form right now. And this is that type of classical layout that he could show up and, and just absolutely ball strike through and hope you can just hit enough greens that you don't worry about a short game and putt 
shooting well enough. And at 90 to one, I don't feel like the risk is all that high compared to what, you know, other guys have shown in these type of uh, range on the odds board when it comes to recent form. And look, I think ideally, you know, you look at his course form, his miscut, miscut, and ideally you want someone that has played well at the golf course. But I think the Belfry is one of those places that if you're not absolutely on top of your game, you can miscut pretty easily. And it's not like he's been disastrous around here. Like I think he's just shot around level par or whatever and not really climbed the leaderboard. And it was interesting that his short game is is what's bothering him or around the green game particularly. Like his his dad mentioned to me that that is what he's working on. So obviously he's aware of that. I mean, you, you've only got to look at your own profile on Days Golf to realise that that is an area of weakness. But as I said to you before, Sky, like all the time he's gaining strokes and approaches when you start looking for Sean Crocker. Um, and now he's done yeah. it in four straight events. He's done off the tee in five straight. You do have to pay attention. Like when you when you finish 14th place with a glaring, glaringly bad around the green game that like you lost what nearly six strokes or so. Um, that that feels pretty good. Like it's it's a little bit. It's not at the same level, but it's a Victor Hovland thing all over again, right? But, but if you yeah. have the right tools, you have a floor, and then you can just have a good week. And and like you say, he could just hit enough greens that it's not a problem. And also, I sometimes think that some. I don't. Again, I need to look into it. And you're better at these types of things. But I sometimes think these these better stri- ball strikers numbers around the green look a, a lot worse because they don't miss many greens so when they do it's really you know hyper focused that when they play one badly you know what i mean um yeah it's a smaller sample size around the green's hard too because it is a you know i would be curious we don't have per shot data we have shot you know yeah strokes gained but like if i could really narrow it down it would be super nice uh on the dp world tour and we could probably get even more upside into um those numbers hopefully that is coming um for us but all right, we each have one more selection as we get into the triple digits. Um, I'll make sure you give a shout out to all of our audio listeners. Uh, you can find us on Daily Fantasy Sports Picks and Bets, The Mix, uh, Mayo Media Network, supporting us across all platforms. Rate, review, subscribe. goes a really, really long way. Always love to see comments um, for us, you know, as we, we head into kind of our stretch of the summer, right? Right, Tom? And even the fall, yeah. I think the fall will be really, really good. Wetmore will be big leading into the Ryder Cup. Should be a lot of fun. Irish Open hopefully pulls in some bigger golfers being at that time of the schedule. Um, so definitely excited for what is ahead. Um, you can go first. You've got one and trust me, I've got, I've got, <laughs> you've, so, you've got one. Yeah. Uh, yes. Just to confirm, like Rory McIlroy is playing the Irish Open, right? So like, I think yes. you've got him, yep. you've got maybe Lowry and Harrison over. So like, it's going to be pretty well supported. Um, and, and Ryder Cup years for DB World Tour is always really good. Um, but on to the pick. So we talk about feel good stories and we talked about Richard Bland, although it wasn't feel good for you. It was feel good for generally for tours and supporters, right? Um, I think Justin Walters fits in that category, like tremendously. This is a guy that's been out here for a long time and, and hasn't been able to get it done. He's been second at the Portugal Masters, second at the UK Championship. He he lost that playoff, I think it was. To, did he, I don't know if he lost the playoff or lost in the final hole to Rasmus Hoygaard. Um, you know, he's had multiple second-place finishes and just not been able to get the job done. And you might wonder then why I'm going to bet him. But I, I just think that the way he's played on these types of golf courses, he tends to play really, really well in the UK in general. I've seen him pop around in, in Wentworth and things like that and hang around for, for time. So I like that. Um, but yeah, his he, he starts so far don't necessarily jump off the page. But when you look into it, it's six straight cuts, 
he actually only just missed the cut in Japan, which would have made it eight in a row because um, he made the one just before that as well. And he shot a second round 68 there. So generally speaking, playing really, really well. He was inside the top 20 at the halfway mark at the Italian Open. Um, he was When he was 39 for the European Open, he was 12th going into the final round. And, and he was 21st at the Scandinavian Mix, where he was fifth at the halfway stage. You then look last week, he finished 26th, and he was only one shot shy of the top 20. He's just been really consistently in and amongst it. So, yes, it's probably a top 20 play. But looking at his three starts at the Bell 3, second, miss cup, third. Um, really, really impressive. Um, obviously, the second was at that UK Championship that I mentioned there, uh, where he was wire to wire up until the playoff loss. Uh, then he missed the cup in, in his British Masters debut here. But last year... He was sixth after the first two rounds and actually got better over the weekend. Uh, fourth after round three and third after round four. And I just wonder if that's the kind of thing that sticks in a player's head like that. Look, I took a step forward when everyone was going backwards. Um, I can win here. He probably circles places like the Belfry as one of three courses that he can win out of the season. Um, and just the way Justin Waters is striking the ball, just the way that he's played in recent events, I was really, really impressed. So, uh, what is he, 140 to 1 now, Sky? Uh, really yep, impressed with Justin Waters. Yeah, like you, you just look at look at location form, look at event form in the British Masters, Wentworth and things like that. Justin Waters sticks out uh, pretty highly for someone in the triple-digit range. Um, and, and his approach play is pretty good, and Tease Green is solid as well. So um, I'm going to give him a chance to, to get that first win. Yeah, uh, definitely intrigued by that. Um, I think if you looked at, yeah, he was... A knack for here, 100%, right? I think it's what he had a good form. I didn't mind uh, the Belgian knockout course, Rinkfin, too, like we talked about. He, he's been decent there, too, um, in the past. So intrigued there. Um, a couple names before I really get into kind of who I'm on to round out. Uh, it was nice to see Nathan Kinsey back. Did you notice yeah. he was in the field again? Yeah. So what it was like a wrist injury, right, for him that yeah, and he, had him out for a while. And he was really good at the start of the season, right? Like we, we really he was good. really solid, one of those ones that looked like he was gonna win off because he progressed from the challenge tour. Um and, and he's been around. He's been around for a little while, right? I think we discussed this on maybe our ones to watch. Like he's not one of these hot shot youngsters, like he's been here before. And I actually think that really lends into um a player's hands like this when you come to a course in a classical test like this. Test your patience. Yeah. Two-time winner on the, the challenge for last year. And what he does now, if you're at this part, you know, we obviously about Wilco and what his skill set is. I think being extremely accurate could be just as well. I'm assuming with how wet it's been over there, that's going to be some thick rough. It's going to be difficult to play from at times. And if you can hit every fairy, fairway like Kinsey did, um, you know, I think he could be a big miss price. We saw it with Kevin Yu last week at the Travelers. Just came back in. You know, as if yeah. it was, it's nothing, right? Um, so was definitely intrigued by that. Um, and actually, I didn't realize this, Tom. Did you know Kimsey was fifth here in the past? Oh, really? So he's kind of fifth. Was this course ever played for something else? No, so it was like the, it was the British Masters long before. It was the UK Championship, but he's not played in those ones. It must have been... Like, is it way back in like 08 or something? Like it must have no, been. No, it says no. 2021 fifth place finish. I'm like Miller Sheep. All oh, right, okay, so maybe that's a qualifier or something. Oh, that's a that's that's what it could have been. Um, 
Chris for doing some live research as we look here. What what majors has he played in? Has he played in anything? No, I mean it probably was some type of qualifier, right? So it was the British Challenge, I think, sponsored by Modest Golf. Looks like okay. that was what it was. Um, potentially. Yeah, well, we'll figure out. I mean, I, I still think he might be one to watch. Those numbers are, are pretty big if he is in any type of form. Uh, but he's not the main one. Um, nor is Dan Bradbury, who I'm intrigued at. Uh, as he gets up triple digits, I think this could be the type of uh, course that he could fit well into, um, knowing Bef- how much he can score. Yeah, before you get into those, into your big one, um, I had a couple. So Darius Van Drill kind of caught my eye, yes. and, it was, and it was because of this like I think I put out one of those most useless stats ever before because it was like Castaño had finished 57th and 8th and then won and Fortinos had finished 57th and 8th and then won um but Van Drill uh had played really well at the uh 2020 UK Championship uh he was 11th which was you know pretty impressive for someone of his stature and he's been 57th and 57th uh in the two British Masters shot second round 69 last year but I was just, you know, looking at his current form. And again, it looks like someone that maybe is just improving as we, you know, right in front of our eyes, really. He was 22nd at the Sadao Open, where he's 11th going into the final round. Uh, he was 21st at the Scandinavian Mix, 16th going into the final round. And then 12th last week at the BMW International Open. Then you look at his kind of ball striking, it, it's pretty solid. So, I mean, he's something like 350 to 1. Certainly think he's the type of person fan drill that can fill out um you know your DraftKings lineup 16th 25th and 8th his last three starts in strokes getting t to green and then the other one sky who just picked uh nina Arbor in terms of strokes going approach last week jb donaldson he gained six and a half strokes in round two on approach last week and then yep. was seventh uh on the third day he was actually 63rd probably the worst of anyone um, in the field on day four in terms of approach and still finish the week um, as the top guy off uh, in approach. So that's interesting because he was eighth here last year and a little bit like Justin Waters, like he just plays his best when he comes to these types of tracks. Like a, I think back to, was it 2021 at Wentworth where he actually had a chance to win? I think he had a chance to eagle on the last. And that sort of thing just sticks in my mind as someone that, you know, you got him, you've got the likes of Soren Kilt and then people like that that can just really get around these shorter golf courses and still contend. So those would be two around the 301 mark before you get to your big bombs guy that I thought were worth mentioning. Yep. And confirmed that was uh, the challenge tour, uh, Kimsey in Basically. 2021. And how could I forget that Hugo Leon won that event? Huh. Uh, the one and only. So um, confirmed. So intrigued definitely by Kimsey. I'm going to see if I can get any pressers. Uh, maybe he could be a late ad if it's intrigued. But the golfer for me, is none other than Pedro Figueroa. I think misprice is is tough when maybe you're a thousand and maybe you should be like three hundred. That's probably the same as like twenty five to twenty to one, right? Like yeah, that yeah. that type of movement in percentage. It might even be bigger from what Jordan Smith had this morning. But I have a tough time thinking Pedro is not in sneaky good form. We talk about tour tips. Tour tips has him as the thirtieth ranked golfer in terms of recent form right now in the last eight weeks. And that comes off the back of three top 25 finishes in his previous four events. I guess top 26, 26 last week, 14th, miscut, 22nd, 57th is his last few times out. What Pedro does is he hits fairways. Um, He used to be short 
and not able to hit fairways. He's coming around with his accuracy, especially as of late. Woke up yesterday morning. I mean, if you look at his previous um, kind of events, um, again, that he does, he's, he's really just bleeding off the tee, even though he's gaining approach, because he is just so short relative to anybody. He's almost 30 yards shorter than the field average on those big um, driving holes, but his irons are okay. He was, I believe, top 11 in greens and regulation and second in accuracy last week. So you look at the incoming form, you look at what should be a type of course fit. He was 22nd at the Sudal Open not that long ago. And again, I woke up yesterday and he was top 10 going into the final round. I think he bogeyed the last two holes one of the days, either Saturday or Sunday. That cost him um, a really good look at a top 10. So I just all of that adding up, I don't believe he should be a thousand to one. I don't even think he should be half of that. I would have been intrigued still in the, in the 400 range. Top 20s might be moving quickly, but you know I believe from a top 20 standpoint, he's one of the best bets on the board. 22 to one on that top 20 for me and Pedro. I think there's just so much incoming. And we've been kind of keen on him. I believe during the break, too, when they had a little like month off, he was winning Portugal mini tour events. Good vibes. Good vibes for vote for Pedro. And, and I think that we can hopefully get him inside that top 20 this week. I also, you you, spoke, you have thrown a real spanner in the works for me with this British challenge, because if you look at the, at the players that played well there, so Yannick Paul was third at the British challenge, uh, and I think he was maybe 15th. Here last year, he was in, he was 16th here last year. Um, you mentioned uh, who, you know, who who to start the conversation. Obviously, Kimsey hasn't played this event, but uh, Chase Hanna was 15th and he finished eighth in this event last year. JC Ritchie, 25th at the British Challenge, finished eighth at this event last year. Daniel Hillier was 18th at that British Challenge and he opened with a 73, so he finished 68, 68, 67. I mentioned I sort of put a tweet out about Daniel Hillier and someone that you know maybe to enact some patience with over the coming months because he is really green and he's got some things to learn. But he's been in the mix like more than quite a few players around him um, in a short space of time. I think I think Hillier is definitely interesting. There is a hundred to one on Hillier. Um, I, I think that's a name to definitely look at. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's kind of a. And that, that was a lower scoring event. Um, I think Hugo got to yeah, 19 under that nine same. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I think that kind of puts a close um, on that. Oh, actually, no, there was one other golfer I was going to mention. Um, a golfer turning pro that people, you know, they always expect me to bet. I'm, I'm not hmm. pulling the trigger, but I'm excited. Frank Kennedy is turning pro. He finished fourth in uh, the British Am. Is that what it was last, yesterday, right? Um, the guy, yeah, the, yeah, the amateur championship, yeah. Um, the the amateur championship. Yeah, he finished fourth. He had lost to um, eventual winner uh, from South Africa uh, again, Christo Lambert. Um, so or Lam Lamprec, I think it is. Um, so had lost to him in the final four. Frank Kennedy. Um, weirdly enough, he had basically been playing professional golf for the last two years as an amateur. He was actually cutting his teeth on the minor league golf tour down here. He lives or, or goes, he's from Southern Florida, um, had some really strong amateur events, um, won some pro events as an am, um, decided to basically play against in these mini tour type of events, was going to be in the Walker Cup, decided he wants to go pro this week. So he is teeing it up Frank Kennedy, I believe, at the age of 17. So um, excited for him to keep an eye out. Yeah, I think there was a lot of um, upset, not not at him, but like because I think it's hard. But like 
that like it was a real blow to the G V and I's Walker Cup yes. team that he's not going to be um, playing. I'm just wondering, Sky, whether this British Challenge maybe would have been played on one of the other Bell Three courses because I just wonder why it wasn't picked up on tour tips. So I wonder if it was played at like because there's like three courses at the Bell Three, so there's the Brothers on the PJ National and the Derby course, and I just wonder maybe whether it was at the PJ National or the Derby course, which would maybe explain why it's slightly lower scoring. Um, so one for us to look into, maybe. Um, but either way, the results have you know correlated to success in this event, so it's definitely worth another yeah. look. I think that leaderboard. Yep, absolutely. Okay, let's put a bow on it, Tom. Betting card. Yep. yep. So for me, it's Adrian Moronk, who I believe now is fourteen to one. Uh, Richie Ramsey, fifty to one. Wilco nine over now. Late ad with you, seventy to one. Matthew Jordan, eighty to one. And Justin Walters, one hundred and forty to one. And I think it's worth looking at top twenties and top forties for uh, Darius Vandrio and Jamie Donaldson. Awesome. I'm on Jordan Smith, twenty to one. Guido Migliazzi, seventy to one. Wilco Nienaber, seventies. Sean Crocker, ninety to one. And then Pedro Figueroa. 1,000 to 1, getting that out to a top 20. That was pretty deep there um, as we open the week. So hopefully a big week uh, from some big-name guys as we get a stretch going. Program update, we will not be doing a show next week for the Made in Himmerland. We're going to take the week off. I'm on a two-week little vacation uh, coming up here or holiday, as you guys like to say. Um, so going to get some help on the Scottish Open show, too, to join you, Tom. Um, so looking forward to hearing you guys as I'm road tripping, but thank you again for, for a great show as always, my friend. Yeah. Really enjoyed it, Sky. And thank you as ever for the dedication and I look forward to a winner this week. Yes. Amen. Good luck, everybody. Take care.